Hey, this is Pastor Nate Cook, and you're listening to Pontificating Pastors, a podcast where we lock two pastors in a room and just let them talk about anything and everything. My friend Michael Pig is a church planner in San Marcos, Texas, and I'm a traditional church pastor here in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Today on the podcast, Michael and Nate discuss phrases that Christians often use that maybe we should get rid of. Things like, everything happens for a reason, or God needed another angel, or maybe even God helps those who help themselves. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode of Pontificating Pastors. Hey Michael, what's going on today? Not much, Nate. How are you? I am doing okay, only if I have a little bit of a lisp today, it's because my gums and my my gums are swollen and my teeth hurt. Really? Yeah. Why, Why is that? I decided to play basketball with some 20-year-olds last night. Oh. <laughs> and that's always yeah. a bad proposition. Not at, a good idea. Yeah. I think I'm the only person... Like his in, you know, I'm 45 now. So the rest of them are in their 20s. And this young man went around a screen and he was coming full speed and spun and did not see me jump out to stop him as he went around the screen. And the back of his head went straight into my teeth. And I thought he was going to be really hurt, but he just kind of oh, really, he got a wow. nod on his head. But mm. yeah, my whole front of my mouth feels like a, uh, it's just swollen up and stuff. So if I if I sound a little funny today, that's what it is. It's not. Well, I normally sound a little funny, but if I sound a lot funny, uh, that's what's going on. So lesson learned: um, don't play basketball with twenty year olds. But you know what? I'll probably do it again next week if we have enough to play. <laughs> that's that's interesting. I uh, this morning I got together a team from our neighborhood uh, because our city has. Uh, has the all-star games, the neighborhood all-star games. And we all go to the city park and we bring our teams of eight people, including children and adults. And we play different games like tug of war and things like that. Did you say all-star games? They call them the all-star games. Sweet. So, so you're an all-star. So neighborhood gets neighborhood. Well, if you get a team together, you're ultimately, you you just get to call yourself one. So you you get to call yourself an all-star. Mm-hmm. Which That's, obviously, you know, isn't isn't all that different from Major League Baseball's All Star Game. You know, they just, you just yeah, you just vote on it. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I I just think it's a participation trophy to call yourself an All Star. There you go. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. <laughs> and I'm okay with it. I've been calling myself an All Star. Hey, now you're an All Star. Get your game on. Go play. There you go. So. um yeah, I think today we were going to jump into some things that people say that really aren't biblically true. They may have a little truth to them, but I remember I was preaching one time and, uh, well, I had been preaching and someone came up to me later and said, you know, like you always say, <laughs> have you ever had that happen? Oh, yes, all the time. And then they recant to me something that I'm pretty sure I didn't say. Yeah, well, this one was one that I knew I didn't say because it was 
God won't give you more than you can handle. And I looked at the person and I, I, I was like, I know I didn't say that. And they're like, really? And I said, yes, because I have never believed that to be true. I mean, I don't really see it as being biblical in any way, shape or form. Because God constantly is giving people more they, than they can handle in the Bible. And so uh, I tried to walk through the idea that, you know, you look at Moses and the people at the Red Sea and they can't handle the situation, but God can handle it. So the point isn't like, what can you handle? But it's what can you walk through with God at your side? And so the old yeah. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's uh, really bad theology, I think. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of an aberration of uh, uh, what Paul says about uh, that you won't receive, you won't come under temptation greater than you can stand up under. Right. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's kind of a twisted version of that. But yeah. but to just say God won't give us more than we can handle, uh, I think if we're living on the edge of faith, we are constantly put in situations where. In our own strength, we cannot handle it. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. I, you know, I feel like in this, just whenever we began to plant a church, that I came to this, uh, to, to the point of saying yes to this and to responding to the, to, to the call of God to, to do this. Um, I feel like my, my response was, I want to be completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so I think just to, if that's somewhere that we want to be as Christian people, then it's, it's hard to say that God won't give you more than you can handle because the whole point of the Christian life is to say, I can't handle this life, Lord. I need, I need you. Right, yeah. And I think even the audacity to stand up in a pulpit and speak for God is more than I can handle. <laughs> Every week, like there's there's no no reason that Nate Cook should be doing that, and yet that's where God has called me, and uh, so that I think there's some humility in that. You have any other phrases uh, you sure. ever hear that? Oh, you know, everything happens for a reason, and some. And so my response to it is, yeah, and sometimes the reason is that we're stupid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's the reason it happened. It happened because I didn't plan well. It happened because I made a mistake. It happened because I believed a lie. Uh, or it happened because somebody else decided to be a jerk. Sure. Oh, know? yeah, because somebody else doesn't know how to drive. You know, I mean, sorry, that was coming off <laughs> I-35. That's how I feel most of the time. <laughs> I, I remember this uh, old joke about the kid who's in the back seat, and I think it's it's relatable in my family that he says, Mommy, how come the morons only come out when you're driving? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I, but I think the highway is a perfect illustration of everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Um, or it doesn't and, happen for a reason. Or, yeah, it doesn't happen for a reason. You know, I was, you know, wh whatever excuses, whatever blame, you know, everything happens for a reason is just pushing blame most of the time. We say that just to to push blame off of ourselves, to take ourselves out of the equation, say it wasn't my fault, you know, uh, everything happens for a reason. So God must have intended for this to happen. Yeah, it's I, almost like... I don't a, know. I think there's a lot of things that happen under the sun uh, that God didn't intend to happen. And I think what's evidenced by that, I, I think it's, I think the evidence of that is that Jesus says, 
when you pray, say this, uh, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we have to pray that God's will will be done, um, then it must not be fully being done currently. Right. I, we, we would just thank him that it was. I think it goes back to the the view of God that we have. Um, many people have, whether they really, and if you really think it through, most people don't believe this to its fullest extent, but most people have a belief that a deterministic view of the world, that God is somehow up there manipulating the whole system, um, every little step that people take. And if you follow that out to its fullest extent, then then the whole thing is just, a ruse. We're all just, you know, pawns that God is moving around and God is making everything happen the way that God wants it to happen. Um, and then we have no free will. But I, I think the the, re- the thing that everything doesn't happen for a reason actually points us back to the love of God, because God created a world in which people can mess things up by making horrible choices because they have a free will and that free will allows them to love God or to reject God, to love us or to hurt us, uh, to do stupid things, or sometimes just not pay attention, you know? Sure. And they're on the road. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, that's that's why we say that love must be free of coercion. Yeah. Because God's love is free of coercion. Um, which, you know, some people would argue, and they would argue it, and I've heard people argue that, um, but what they end up arguing is that the church's love is not, free of coercion yeah god's love is god's love is uh god's people's love is not always free of coercion and i think uh you know we a lot of our theology just like you said is deterministic it's fear-based um it it preys on our our uh our insufficiencies to kind of keep us in line because it's mostly a most of the time uh you know that's a behavioral modificationist uh is what we turn out to be. So, yeah. And I think people like the idea of a God who they, I mean, we say God is in control and ultimately, yes, God's will is done. But, but I think people like the idea um, that, that God is kind of manipulating the system in control because it takes responsibility off of us at some points. And um, you know, the ultimate thing that we see is God is continually giving away those Right. I mean, God does have all power and authority, but God is continually giving away. I mean, you see God hanging vulnerable on a cross. So part of love is that God gives away even some of the, the rights that God has so that we can be free loving individuals. And so, yeah, I think that's yeah. one. I think, you know, for me, another one is um, some of the worst ones come out at uh, funerals, uh, you know. <laughs> Heaven needed another angel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, since when do we become angels? Like, when yeah. <laughs> read that. Like, I, you don't get to be an angel. Angels I, are created beings, just like human beings are created beings. It's really bad theology all the way around. It really just it it suffers, and it and it kind of is those cringeworthy comments, and you're just like, oh, yes. Let know. us and, pontificating <laughs> pastors right here. We're just going to take a break and give you some advice. If you're at a funeral, don't tell people that heaven needed another angel because you will just make the person who is mourning very, very angry at you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because then heaven is kind of this enemy place that snatches people that it needs, you know? And 
Yeah, and and I know it's an attempt to be comforting, but um, the idea there, first of all, that we do become angels is uh, I hadn't even thought about that part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's I, wrong on too many levels to do. Yeah, it. I remember one of our leaders, and he's he was a leader at the highest level of the Church of the Nazarene, lost his daughter, and he was talking about it, and and he said, you know, all these people were were consoling me, and they were saying, you know. Um, well, because of your daughter's story, thousands upon thousands through social media and stuff, people heard about Jesus and, you know, she passed away. And so that tried to be consoling. And he said, well, let him take your daughter then. In yeah, his, no lie. In his Anything, humanness yeah. in that in that moment, um, he didn't really want to hear how, you know, heaven needed another angel, if you will. So Right. Well, um, and it, because it, it suggests that God uses us. Exactly. And yeah. that's, you know, that's problematic because if love's not coercive, then love doesn't use us as tools either. We're we're partners with God. We're not tools in his tool belt. And I think we've talked about that before, but that's been something that burdened me for a while. Um, I think another one that I've dealt with that I, and I actually talked about it on Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, was... Uh, uh, God helps those who help themselves. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. American, isn't it? More than <laughs> scriptural. Well, yeah, I think, and it's also kind of this twisted version of uh, when, oh. James, when James berates the church about, you know, if, you're, if you don't get a job, you know. Right, this yeah. James thing, get a job. Uh, don't be lazy. The lazy person is worse than the infidel, you know, kind of uh, conversation, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm all about, you know, get a job, be a, con- be a contributor. Um, but I also think it, you know, if we're talking to a Jesus who says that, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and once the mustard seed grows up, it creates room for the sparrows, you know, uh, it's, it becomes this bush that takes over the garden and it it creates room for the weakest and the broken. Um, I, I think when you're talking to a Jesus like that, it's hard to make any kind of statement that, that God helps those who help themselves, especially be hard to convince the woman who touched the hem of his garment. Uh, and he stops and, and, or the lady, the woman at the well, or the woman who was being, um, accused of adultery and they were going to stone her to death. I mean, or the, or the criminal on the cross. I mean, yeah, right. Story after story of Jesus tells that God doesn't just help those who help themselves. God helps those who really can't help themselves. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, like I said originally, I think part of the reason why we gravitate towards that kind of saying in the United States is because we are the pull yourself up by your bootstraps uh, nation. And so it wouldn't make sense for God to help the people who didn't help themselves. I'm, I'm thinking of the parable of the people who worked all day versus the parable of the people who came in at the last hour, you know. and uh, <laughs> Yeah. We don't want God to help people who don't help no, themselves. No, we don't. We show we up late. Yeah. If you stand up and say, I am being treated unfairly, guess what? You will get treated more unfairly at first. You have to really make your case in our country that you're right. being treated unfairly. Oh, yeah. And even at that, we'll probably assassinate you before it's all said and done. Just ask Martin Luther King. You yeah. Know? So <laughs> well, we were talking about that before we came on, how... Many of the people who who were really prophetic and stood up and spoke out for the gospel have have uh, been uh, killed 
including yeah. Jesus. So, yeah. For, for trying to help themselves and those who are like them or those who are suffering, they end up getting killed. So God helps those who help themselves. If we say that, then we, we really don't end up believing it after all. This is one of those things that um, that I I've tried to put them out of my mind because every once in a while, when I go to prayer or I go to making commentary, uh, you know, that's kind of off script, I default to some of these thoughts because they're they're ingrained in me and I've heard them my whole life and they you know they they've affected me in ways, uh, you know. Uh, and, and I think Brendan Manning, he says, uh, if you if you deny those things that are stacked up in your soul, those things that are part of your soul that have been built in uh, since you were born, if you deny them, then you're denying the false. You're denying. You're making room for the false self to thrive. And um, and so I, I struggle with how do I acknowledge those unfair comment commentaries uh, from Scripture, those false uh, theologies, those, and how do I make, how do I accept that they have affected me so that I can fully repent of them? Um, and so, so every once in a while, I'm, I'm made aware of those things when I, uh, when I pray and I'll be praying and I'll hear myself say something that I don't agree with theologically, just a colloquialism or, a you know, um, just you remember, I, I remember when I was growing up, there was a an usher in our church, and he would pray over the offering, and he would say, "There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun." During the offering, during the offering, he would he'd say, "There's a heaven to gain and a there's hell some to pressure." Shun. And and I, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it was always just I I remember even as a kid trying to figure out what that meant, uh, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And wondering if that's as I got older and as, as I became more mature in my thought, um, as I became able to deal more philosophically with it, you know, my question then became: Is that really why we came this morning? Are we just trying to gain heaven and shun hell? Like, is that is because that made it super personal, you know? Um, and I think there's some misnomers. A lot of our misnomers surround. Uh, are surrounding our individualistic view of the gospel. Right, uh, yeah. But the you that gets spoken by Christ, that gets spoken by the epistles, um, that gets spoken by the prophets, the you is, m- most of the time it's plural. Yeah, I was just, I was going to look on my Twitter page here because I just, I just posted, somebody wrote a statement, how many times Paul wrote each phrase? Paul wrote our Lord 53 times and my Lord once. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, there it is. The you is uh, often plural. So I, I think you make a good statement when you talk about those ingrained habits. Um, I think that's why we meet every week is to get those things out of us, because not only are they in our church culture, but they're also in our culture culture. I mean, there is a philosophy in our culture that is fatalism that you watch movies you see tv shows there's a sense in which everything happens for a reason i mean so it's not just a church saying but it gets 
it gets morphed into church uh, theology. Um, and so I think one of the reasons why we meet together to say to break the bread and to drink the cup is we, we break open the bread and we say, yeah, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who even haven't thought of helping themselves. Those who are his enemies, oh his body is broken, his blood is shed yeah. for people who are his enemies. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's so much of that meeting together, I think, that helps uh, root out the things that have been ingrained in us. Because I'm like you, you know, um, there are so many of those things I grew up just hearing and we hear in our world. And sometimes, you know, you, you catch yourself almost thinking before you speak or, or uh, not thinking before you speak. You kind of speak yeah. these these things out. Um, and then you realize, I don't know if I really if I really agree with that. So. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of things as pastors you hear that that often uh, they may sound good, but they may not be scriptural or really say good things about God. And so, part of the the reason why I like using traditional prayers and liturgies sometimes is uh, because those have been well thought out, well formulated, and they help to shape our our minds in good ways. Obviously, the words of Jesus. Uh, things like the Lord's Prayer, they they help us think about uh, the world in ways that God has, has shaped it and formed it. So, well, sure, um, and I think if we if we buy into some of those deterministic things, and we begin to believe things like uh, like suffering comes because of sin, yeah, you know, or you know, we believe we begin to believe uh, if, if we buy you know, too wholeheartedly into a narrow view of the atonement of Christ and begin to believe that all it is is a penal substitution, then uh, there must be penalties paid all across the board for sin. And, and so then God is, you know, kind of penalizing us, or at least the world that he's created penalizes us uh, because because we're sinful because we're we're broke so then suffering comes from that and then by the same virtue then we begin to believe that well if i act right then i'll receive blessings yeah yeah and and also i think that deterministic view leads us ultimately um i mean if you really follow it out to its logical conclusion then it leads us to this kind of helpless thing where where god's got it all figured out Ultimately, God even knows uh, who will follow him and who won't. And then so we can kind of throw our hands up and say, what is the point of our our this day for us? When when the God we serve gives us each day as a new beginning, a new choice to follow, to worship, to serve, uh, not because we have to, but, but out of gratitude, out of joy for the love that he's lavished sure. upon us. And so, yeah, a lot of I those... Think- yeah, I think the problem there is that people will immediately, when they hear what you just said, will go, so God doesn't know everything? Um, <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden we're attacking the sovereignty of God. Yes. Um, and two yes. things there, you know, uh, the question then becomes, what do you mean by God knows everything? Does God know everything that will ever happen? Or has God somehow, in order to give us free will, limited his foreknowledge? Or, you know, or does God there, know all possibilities and potentialities? Yeah. That's the big word around the theological. Right. And it is, it's kind of the it's kind of the conversation that Job has with God, you know, and he says, where were you when I put a hook in Leviathan's mouth? And who is this that addresses counsel without knowledge? Right. But, you know, so it's a real kind of a dangerous conversation for us to try to know the mind of God. 
Um, and so uh, having that conversation, you know, and saying, oh, you're attacking the sovereignty of God. But, but people all the time say, well, that's not in the character of God. Well, in my mind, you're kind of attacking the sovereignty of God because you're telling God what he can and can't do. And right. you can't. Yeah. God does what God wants. I mean, ultimately, God does what God wants. And it would seem like that God in love has given us choice. And in order for us to have choice, he's done something in terms of, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say it other than maybe limiting his foreknowledge or I'm not sure how to say it. But it's when, a, I, it's when I talk about God problem. limiting himself, sometimes people get squirmy until I say, oh, I know. you want to know the, the best picture of God limiting God's self? Jesus on the cross. There you go. He died. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jesus is limited by human existence. Jesus Mm -hmm. is limited by the fact that he he gives up power and authority in order to submit to this uh, death on a cross. So there's and friendships are made that way. Get this. We took this trip to Brazil and we went down the Amazon um, to this this small village or town city. I'm not sure what you call it um, out on the Amazon. And, um, and we took the boat to get there and it took us like, you know, 20 hours on a boat with 400 other people packed in hammocks that were touching. I slept with this lady's feet in my face on one side and you, a man. You have to be careful how you phrase that. I slept with this lady and then you said feet. <laughs> no, I was, I was her like, feet, her feet were in Shelly's my face. going to be really mad at this podcast <laughs> no, if you, if you go down there. This woman's feet were in my face on one side and this man's armpit were on my face on the other side. It was, it, we were packed into this boat, right? But we took the same kind of passage that they would take, right? We stepped into their world. We didn't fly there and we certainly didn't arrive in limousines or anything like that. And when we got there, I would hear them telling one another, they rode the boat. They rode the boat, right? And so they're, um, and they were telling each other in Portuguese, but I was learning this phrase because I heard it so many times. And I don't it was know like no this, Portuguese. <laughs> it's this badge of honor for us to have ridden the boat. And it created an, uh, a kinship between us yeah. immediately. Yeah. Um, when you submit yourself to what other people are suffering or whatever other people are experiencing, um, there's, this, there's this thing that happens. I think that's what God did in love. He, you know, he submitted himself to being born in the same way that we are born to being hungry in the same way that we are hungry, to be in need in the same ways that we are in need, to subject himself to, ridic- to ridicule, um, you know. And, and so I think that's a much more sovereign thing to do. Right, yeah. And, and you know, I think that it shows to us, the, the Scripture continually shows that God will allow choice, relationship, and God even goes out of the way to to create that even through this cross you know so i i definitely think whatever our thoughts of you know what god knows down the road or whatever um they have to include this is what i tell people it's kind of where i've come to whatever however it all works out there has to be some kind of freedom and openness in in the world that allows us real choices because it appears all throughout scripture that that's how god has interacted with people Right, but that's an issue of control, and the reason we have so much uh, some so much a hard time dealing with this is because when we start talking about this, it's very hard to control people with that kind of theology. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. There's no, there's no fear in that. There's no, right. you can't, you can't hold doubt and shame though. We try, you can't hold doubt and shame over people as sort of a motivator. Um, and so I, I think, you know, uh, everything happens for a reason is kind of, you know, the overarching uh, misnomer about things that scripture doesn't say, you know, you know, yeah. the Bible doesn't tell us that, uh, it definitely I, comes from a different understanding of who God is than I would be comfortable with. Sure, and and it, and how we read the Bible is definitely, you know, wrapped up. All part of that, for in, sure. Yeah. In that. So, so yeah. if you've learned anything today, kids, it's uh, don't go tell people everything happens for a reason, or God won't give you more than you can handle, or heaven needed another angel. Um, just be there for them. Just be a presence in the room. Give them a hug. Cry with them. I think that works a little better in my experience. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's, you know, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he gives us this commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, I think that kind of, it kind of makes a moot point out of some of our our explanations for why things happen or why they go Um I think when we get too wrapped up in those arguments and Paul, Paul chastises the church for getting too wrapped up in those kind of arguments. Um, and I think it's important for us to, uh, make sure that we are building relationships. And one of the guiding principles on that for me has always been this line by Leonard sweet. And I've probably said it before and I'll say it again. Um, he said, uh, he tells a story, uh, and the culmination of the story is, well, would you rather be right or would you rather be in a relationship? Yeah, and I, I and I thank God that His that His prevenient grace uh, continues to remind me that that though He is correct, though God is right, though God has every reason and platform to hold us accountable, that instead He shows us grace. Yeah, so I think that's He'd rather way. God would rather be in a relationship. Yeah. I think that's a good way to form our theologies and our philosophies about, um, you know, so I think a safer bet at the funeral is um, just to share your grief. Yeah. yeah. Just to share your grief. I'm so sorry. Don't try to, don't try to lighten the mood at a funeral. Yeah. And don't try to explain it away because sometimes there's just no explanation at all. This, and sometimes I think it might even be a better thing to say is I don't, I don't believe this was God's will. Yeah. 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 Well, and the other, you know, I always look to Jesus um, at Lazarus passing, you know, and Jesus just weeps, even though Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Right. Like, right. He weeps uh, with the sisters. So, hey, yeah. man, I am getting ready to uh, drop my youngest off at college this weekend. Woo! And uh, I know you're. You guys are back full force, aren't you? Back in school and everything. So, um, well, teachers are back this week, and students will be back next week. So, Shelly's at work, and the kids are doing their, uh, you know, few more days of freedom. Well, actually, the two oldest are already back in school. Yeah, Judah that's true. is the only one who is really enjoying the freedom, and we're not allowed to talk about schools coming. He's like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to. Talk about it. I understand that. Hey, well, have a great day. I know you got a meeting to get to, so love you, and we'll talk to you later. Love you too, man. You take care of yourself. All right, we'll see you. All right, bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to Pontificating Pastors. 
If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor or any one of the other platforms. We hope you have a great week.